So uh, yeah, we're continuing in our series through the Old Testament book of Micah this morning, learning from God's word against about the, the rebellion that so often we as humans have against God, but also learning about the redemption that God brings to us, the kindness, the grace that God shows us. So we're reading the word of God this morning, and we're going to see as God, word, as God speaks his word through the prophet to the people in both Samaria and Jerusalem, we're going to learn about what God cares about. We're going to see very clearly that God has certain things that he cares deeply about, and he did not just care about these things for them then, but he cares about them for us here today. So I want to ask you, like, tune in this morning. Expect God to speak to you. His word is going to be open. We're going to hear from him. And the Bible says that God's word never returns void. So expect him to speak to you this morning. See what he'll say. I believe that he's going to show us um, more of the, the seriousness of sin that plagues us. We're going to see how serious sin is, but also we're going to see how beautiful salvation is. We need to understand how serious sin is so that we can also understand how beautiful the salvation that Jesus gives us is. So let's pray and ask God to speak to us and then we'll dig in. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word is is alive and that it is active and that you speak to us through it. God, your word will never return void. And so as we dig into Micah chapter 2 this morning, we ask you to speak to us. God, I pray that we would see you clearly through this text, that we would see ourselves clearly, Lord, and that we would begin to treasure you above all else. So help us, Father. Speak to us now, Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is it that you treasure? What is it that that holds great value to you on this earth? Um, As I asked myself that question, one of the first things that came to mind is that um, I value my golf clubs. Please don't laugh at me if you think that's silly. I think it probably is silly, but I value my golf clubs. Aaron and I, a couple weeks ago, were on a pastor's trip in Arizona, and uh, I, along with two other of those pastors, we have this tradition that every year on the trip we golf together, and... um, I value and treasure my golf club so much that a couple years ago during Christmas, I got some money from my grandparents and we uh, decided to use that money to buy a hard travel case for my golf club so that they could be very well protected um, if I ever took them in an airplane. And so uh, we got to the, the destination, we opened, I opened my, my case, my clubs were looking great, everything is, is wonderful. And then the the time came to go play golf. And on that day, um, it was one of the only days out of the year that it rained in the desert. And so we went and we, we played golf and um, we had a great time. It was fun. But as we got home, I realized that my golf clubs are soaking wet. My um, golf bag is soaking wet. And I need to do something about that because I can't just put these things in the hard case because if I just put them wet into the hard case, um, what if they rust? What if there's mold? What if there's, um, what if they get damaged? So I got a towel and one by one I took out each of my beautiful golf clubs and wiped them down with my towel and I I lined them up um, from the biggest club to the smallest club along the wall with about 
two inches in between each one because I have OCD. Um, and I let them sit out overnight to, to dry. I set my golf bag somewhere where it could get some airflow and the towel so everything could dry and be good for the morning. And I'm pleased to say my plan worked. My golf clubs are well taken care of. They're in great shape today. Why do I share all of that? Uh, so that you see how crazy I am. But also so that you can see that I, I valued my golf clubs. And because I valued my golf clubs, I, I went to an extreme measure to um, take care of them. They were very important to me. So I did all that I could in order to make sure that they were well cared for. That they were in great shape. But then I was thinking, do I value and do I treasure God as much as I treasure my golf clubs? I was thinking for us, do we, do we treasure God? Do we place a high enough, a high value on God when we compare the value that we put on him to the value that we put on our hobbies, on our time, on our desires, on our pursuits on this earth? See, when Micah was writing this prophecy to the people in Jerusalem and Samaria, the people there were not valuing God. The people there were completely consumed with themselves. They were focused on just doing what would make them happy. They only wanted to to do anything that would advance them. Their whole world revolved around themselves, and God is speaking to them and saying, if you continue on that path, you're headed for destruction. So as God begins to speak to them in chapter 2, he's going to show them the depth of their sin. He's going to show them how serious sin is. And what we're going to find out is that the consequences of our sin are significantly more serious than the consequences of leaving some golf clubs wet. So Micah 2, let's start in verse 1 and read 1 through 5. It says, Woe to those who devise wickedness. And work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in their power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them, and houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord Behold, against this family I'm devising disaster, from which you cannot remove your necks, and you shall not walk haughtily, for it will be a time of disaster. In that city they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, we are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people, how he removes it from me. To an apostate he allots our fields. Therefore, you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. So the first truth I want to highlight from these verses is, That when God is not our treasure, we selfishly pursue what others have. When God is not our treasure, we selfishly pursue what others have. See, two of the Ten Commandments that God gave his people are do not covet and do not steal. And yet what we just read is that these these people are are laying on their beds. And as they're laying on their bed, they're, they're considering, who should I steal from today? Who has land that I could take? They're coveting and they're stealing. They're not thinking about how, man, if I take that person's land, then that means that they don't have land. How is it going to negatively affect them? Their only concern is themselves. If it makes me happy to have what those people have, then I'm going to go get what those people 
have. And I would say that, that the reason that these individuals are laying on their beds and, and devising these evil plans and then executing their evil plans is because they view themselves as more significant than others. They think that they are more important than other individuals, but also they're living in a way that's communicating that they think that they are above God and above his law. See, God is no longer their treasure. They are their own treasure. Their pursuit is, is not to please God. Their pursuit is to please themselves. I think before we just write those individuals off and be like, man, they're, they're being silly. They're being foolish. This is also an invitation for us to examine our own lives. What do we treasure? As we live out our life, how often do we just do what, what we think that we want to do without any consideration of how it will affect others? How often do we do things that we know that God doesn't want us to do just because we think that it'll make us happier, because we think that we deserve it? See, how many of our decisions on our day-to-day life are just focused on this question of what's best for me? Not how will it affect others, but I see something that I want, and I think that I should be able to have it, so... If I have what that person has, then surely my life will just be complete if I just have a little bit more. And if you're like me, the answer to those questions would be, well, quite a bit. Those thoughts pass through my mind quite often. And if you think about it, like that's what our society is built on, right? Like advertising is built on this idea of like, if I show you how great your life will be if you have this, then maybe you'll buy it. Last Sunday, the Super Bowl, companies spent millions and millions of dollars for commercials. Why? Because they know a lot of people watch the Super Bowl, and so a lot of people are going to watch the commercials. And so if they make a great commercial, yeah, they'll spend millions of dollars on the commercial, but if people buy whatever they're trying to sell, they're going to make money. Our society thrives off of coveting, but God's word tells his people, do not covet. Do not covet because coveting is not good for us. Coveting hurts us. Coveting hurts the other people that we end up stealing from if we take what it is that we're coveting. And Micah shows how God hates coveting and hates stealing by communicating, if you continue in this path, ruin is coming. In verses 3 through 5, God tells the oppressors that disaster is coming. He's saying, you're not going to walk proudly for much longer. Where you used to to brag about what you had soon, you're going to be saying that you're completely ruined. The fields that you coveted and then stole are going to be taken by others. And you're going to be left with nothing. And this is the reality of sin. The wages of sin is death. Sin always over-promises and then under-delivers. Sin deceives us into thinking our lives will be complete if we just listen to its demands, if we just do what it tells us to do. The Bible's clear that God is not mocked, that we reap what we sow. And so these verses invite us into a better way. So you and I do not need to be consumed by the covetousness of this world. We do not need to believe the lie that more money, more property, 
more kids, more vacation will just fulfill us. Instead of pursuing the fleeting pleasures of this world that are here one moment and gone the next, what if we viewed Jesus as the greatest treasure of our lives? What if we laid in our beds and instead of thinking about, man, I just wish that I had what that person had, we thought, man, Jesus is really good. How good is it that Jesus has chosen to forgive me? How good is it that I get to be used and join him on his mission on this earth? How good is it that my life has purpose? How good is it that I've been given all that I need in Jesus? See, Matthew 16, Jesus is is speaking and he's really calling us into this. He says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? What good does it do you if you gain everything on this earth, but your soul is not saved? See, everything that we covet on this earth, everything that we go after and pursue on this earth will one day pass away. But our relationship with Jesus, our soul, will remain forever. So the invitation for us is to treasure the better thing. Treasure Jesus. Jesus gives us hope. He gives us peace. He gives us joy. He gives us purpose that no amount of money, that no amount of status, no amount of prestige can bring. We all have the opportunity to repent. As we find ourselves pursuing and coveting what others have or thinking our life will just be better if we could just engage in that sin, we all have opportunity to repent. And as we repent, as we turn to Jesus, we find forgiveness and we find life. But the reality that we see played out in scriptures and we see in our life is not everyone's going to make that decision. Not everyone's going to repent. As we continue to read in Micah 2, we see that the people of Jerusalem and the people of Samaria are going to continue to rebel against God. They're not just coveting and stealing, but now they're also covering their ears when God's word is being spoken to them. Instead of listening to God's word, they're pursuing messages from the world that will satisfy their selfish desires. So verses 6 through 11, they say, do not preach. Thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob? Has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. Arise and go, for this is no place to rest. Because of the uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. If a man should go about in utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink. He would be the preacher for this people. So the truth to consider here is that when God is not our treasure, we reject the truth of his word. When God is not our treasure, we reject the truth of his word. See, after hearing this message from God's prophet that their sin is going to result in destruction, the people of Jerusalem and Samaria say, Stop preaching. 
Stop telling us that. How dare you say such a thing to us? We're not going to be destroyed. We're not really that bad. We're just doing what we want to do. How is that wrong? How dare you say that we're going to be punished for our actions? But God is still speaking to them, and he's telling them that they're stealing. And they don't care about the fact that stealing is wrong. They're kicking women and children out of their houses just so that they can have more houses for themselves. They're not even considering the fact that that's unjust. And then verse 11 says what kind of a sermon these people actually want to hear. They wish that someone would just come to them and start preaching to them about how good booze is. If you would just talk to us about how great wine and strong drink is, then that is something that we would listen to. See, when God is not our treasure, we reject the truth of his word and we go after the messages that our flesh wants to hear. And again, is this not the story of our culture today? Like it's wildly unpopular to to tell people that if you continue in sin, your end is destruction. It's wildly unpopular to preach the the clear truths of God's word, the unchanging truth of God's word when it comes to care for the vulnerable and how much God cares for that. When it comes to human dignity and how much God cares for that. When it comes to gender and sexuality and God's design for human, humanities and, and human thriving, it's unpopular to preach the unchanging truth of God's word. But that reality is not new to us in 2024. I think sometimes we can be like, oh man, it's, it's so hard today to preach that. But it was that way in Micah too. It's been that way since the beginning of time. Because as humans, it's natural for us to value our flesh, to value our comfort, to want to hear what we want to hear over the truth of God's word. It's common for us in our flesh to cover our ears when God speaks and to open our ears when someone will say something that we agree with in our sinful flesh. It's been that way since the beginning. And oftentimes we think, I'll, I'll be happy, I'll be satisfied if I just get to hear something that I want to hear. But the beautiful reality of God's word is that it is God's word that truly makes us happy. It is God's word that truly gives us purpose in life. In Psalm 119 and 162 David says that he rejoices at God's word as one who finds great treasure. He looks at God's word and he's like, that is, that is a treasure to behold. That's why Micah writes here in verse seven, he says that do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? It's like, isn't God's word good to all who will receive it? God's word is true. God's word is good. And yes, make no mistake, like God's word will confront us in our sin. I would say he's been doing that already this morning. God's word will offend us in our sin. God's word is sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts deep. It reveals the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. But for all who will humbly sit under God's word and respond in repentance when he reveals sin, Respond in faith when he invites us to trust in him. Respond in obedience when he invites us to take action. 
then we're going to experience the great joy and the great life that comes from God's word. Two weeks ago, I was spending time with a, a pastor who had pastored um, the same church for 27 years and has pastored a total of 50 years in his life. And um, he was sharing multiple stories about individuals who, in the, the beginning of his, his time pastoring, um, were walking with the Lord. They were listening to God's word. They were, they were responding in faith and obedience to God. They were helping others do the same. But he began to share that there were moments in some of these individuals' lives where they were captivated by the deceitfulness of sin. Some of them ended up leaving their spouses. Some of them got consumed with greed and neglected their family for the sake of just making more money. And he shared with tears about the conversations that he had with these individuals. And as he was just pleading with them, like, Jesus is, is better. He was communicating God's word about how, how true it is that we need him and how destructive sin is. And, and he was communicating about the fleetingness of this world and the eternal reality that we have for our souls. And as he communicated these, these truths with, with these individuals, he said some of them very quickly did repent. Some of them quickly saw how destructive their sin was and, and came back to their wives or husbands and decided to, to not work as much for the sake of their family. But he said also some of them um, publicly humiliated him because of the truth that he spoke to them. Some of them spoke about, to their friends about how, how terrible this guy was. How dare he tell me that what I'm doing is wrong. Many mocked him because he loved them and because he loved God's word. But what I found most encouraging about this story is he said, that's not the end of the story. He's like, because I've had the opportunity to pastor people for 50 years, I've also seen the restorative work of God. I've seen some stories come full circle. Like some of those individuals who mocked me are now great friends of mine. Their family's restored and God's done an amazing work of healing in their hearts. Some of those people who, who disrespected me came back to Jesus, came back to their families and God has restored them and they love Jesus again. See, he's seen families that, that were broken and destroyed seemingly beyond repair and, and maybe even seen that way for years now restored. He's seen people who were boldly sinning come back to God and trust in him. It's like some of those times it took decades, but I've seen it. And praise God that he's remained a, a faithful witness through all of it. I'm so thankful for his example because we see in him, like, he was not afraid to call sin, sin. He called it for what it is. He did not tell the people who were committing adultery or those who were stealing or those who were destroying their families, oh, it's okay what you're doing. Like, as long as, as, long as you're happy, it's fine. No. He stood with God's word. He called sin, sin. But he also prayed. And he begged God, God, would you please bring these people to repentance? Would you please bring these individuals back to yourself, and he was patient, and God, in his timing, and with his power, he brought healing, he brought restoration, and I hope that's encouraging to you, like that God's word 
is true. God's word does not return void. And oftentimes God's timing is not our timing, but God's really good at bringing restoration and healing. So church, if we are followers of Jesus, if we are claiming that Jesus is our Lord, then we have one and only one place to stand and it is on God's word. We stand on the truth that God's word is good, that it is true, that it's clear. And if Jesus is our Lord and the Bible is his word, then when we read the scriptures and when we disagree with them or when we're convicted by the scriptures, we're the ones who are wrong. God is not wrong. And he invites us to repent, to to change our mind and to begin to think how he thinks, to begin to live how he lives. And as standing on the truth of God's word gets uh, seemingly more difficult, I want us to remember that it's been unpopular for thousands of years to preach God's word because God's word confronts people in their sin. But praise God, because sometimes when people get confronted in their sin, sometimes when we get confronted in our sin, we respond in repentance and we find true life and complete forgiveness in Jesus. See, God's word does not return Void. God's word completes the purpose that it was set out for, and so we can confidently stand on his word. I want to finish by considering the grace that God is offering to the rebellious people of Jerusalem and Samaria. Verses 12 and 13. He says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of, of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. The final truth I want us to understand here is that when God is not our treasure, he still pursues us. He still pursues us. These people had coveted, they had stolen They were literally laying on their beds thinking, how can I sin today? And yet God speaks and he promises that I will gather these people together. I will restore them. And not just a few of them, he says, I'll restore many of them. There will be a noisy multitude of men. And then not only will I restore them, but God says, I will also lead them. I will go before them. I will be at their head. And this pure and simple is the grace of God. Like these people were not treasuring God and yet God is pursuing them and he's promising them, I will restore you. It's as if I I took all of my golf clubs and it was raining. I was like, oh, forget it. It's already raining. So let me just throw my golf clubs into the lake. And they go and they sink to the bottom of the lake and they get muddy and they get like super wet and I throw my golf bag into the lake too. And and then someone comes and says, hey, I just noticed that all of your golf clubs are in the lake. But let me me go get them for you. I'll dive down, I'll pick them up and then I'll clean them. I'll scrub them. I'll make sure they're nice and shiny. I'll make sure your golf bag is all clean and, and I'll make sure that they are so ready for your next use like nothing ever happened. It'll be better than before. All you have to do is tell me that you want that. 
Of course, I would say, yes, please. That is so incredibly kind. I Thank you. Church, all of us have sinned. All of us have coveted. All of us have stolen. We've lied. We've lusted. We've, we've chosen to find um, countless things more valuable than God. We've turned away when God has given us opportunity to help those in need. Um, we've stayed silent when he's given us the opportunity to speak his truth. See, just like the people of Jerusalem and Samaria that Micah is writing to, we too have sinned against God. And the punishment for this, our sin that we deserve is death. Sin brings destruction. The wages of sin, what we deserve to be paid is death. But even when God was not our treasure, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life. Jesus never coveted, never stole. He never disobeyed God. Instead, he perfectly represented God to the watching world. And many in this world hated him. Mostly because he revealed their sin to them and they did not like that. And ultimately, Jesus was sentenced to death on the cross. And there on the cross, Jesus gave up his life, dying for the sins of the world. Dying for every time that we covet and steal and cheat and lust. He was buried. And three days later, God raises Jesus from the dead. He comes out of the tomb. He walks on the earth for 40 days, declaring the power of the kingdom of God. He ascends into heaven where he's now sitting at the right hand of God the Father. He sends his Holy Spirit to live in every single one of us who trusts in Jesus. And Jesus has promised that he will return physically to this earth and he will make all things new. That's the pursuit of God. He's pursuing us, sinners who rejected him. And many of us, praise God, have responded to his pursuit by placing our faith in Jesus. And if you trust in Jesus, yes, your sins are still sins. But Jesus has chosen to forgive you. As far as the east is from the west, God's word says, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And because the Holy Spirit lives in you, he reveals sin so that you can quickly repent and trust in Jesus. The Holy Spirit in us helps us become more like our Savior. Praise God for the grace that he's shown you. Rebellious people forgiven by a faithful God. So if that's you, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you as, as we continue in this book of Micah and as we continue to each and every day be convicted of our sin, to slow down and ponder the goodness of our God. Perhaps as you lay in your bed, perhaps tonight as you go to bed, instead of having your mind racing with whatever thoughts from the day, you say, huh, I want to consider the goodness of God today. I want to consider the kindness that God has shown me. I want to consider the fact that God's forgiven my sins. Like, I no longer have a record of debt against me. I've been forgiven. 
And so God, because I've received your forgiveness, how do you want to use me? How do you want to use my life to make a difference for eternity in the lives of others? To respond in faith. And if your faith is not in Jesus, then I would say that today's the day that you need to make that decision. None of us are promised tomorrow. It's morbid, but I was talking to a guy yesterday that's like, yeah, I have to go to a funeral because this young dude was walking to his car, put a box in his car, collapsed, and died. He's like, I guess you just never know when your time is, right? It's like, holy smokes. No, I guess you don't. But like, none of us are promised this afternoon. And if your faith is not in Jesus, then you're going to be in real trouble. So choose today to turn from your sin, turn away from living for yourself and place your faith in Jesus. The path that you're on away from God is leading you to destruction, but God is ready to forgive. Jesus is pursuing. He's done the work. All you have to do is say yes. Just like I would be foolish to say no to the person who would want to scrub my dirty clubs. God is saying, I want to scrub your dirty soul. I want to make you white as snow if you'll just trust in me. So will you? And if you say, yeah, I I want to make that decision to trust in Jesus today. I want to pray with you now and I would love to talk more about it. But pray with me if you're ready to make that decision. Pray, God, I see my sin today. Lord, I covet. I want what other people have. And I think that if I do, then my life will be complete. My life will be better. God, I sin against you and I see my sin and I confess my sin to you. And I turn away from it now and I place my faith in you, Jesus. Jesus, you lived a sinless life. You died to pay the penalty for my sins. And so I place my faith in you, Jesus. You and you alone can forgive sin. You and you alone can bring me into relationship with God. And so I receive your gift this morning. Fill me with your spirit. Thank you. And Father, I want to pray for all of us, God, that we would not just look over the sin in our hearts, that we'd not be like, oh yeah, it's not that bad. God, would we remember that when we sin, we're sinning against you, the God who loves us the God who gave his life for us, the God who sent his son to die to pay for that sin. God, would we take sin seriously? And as we do, would we take your forgiveness seriously too? God, as we understand that we were not treasuring you and yet you came to pursue us, God, I pray that we would begin to treasure you. Jesus, that you would be the most beautiful thing to us. Lord, do that work of grace in our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanna spend um, a few more minutes here just in prayer. I want us to to respond to what we've heard from God in his word this morning. Um, So if you just stay in a posture of prayer, I've got a few prompts to, to help get the conversation started between us and our Father in heaven. Um, just consider as we pray, like we're, If your faith is in Jesus, you're talking to the living God. You're talking to the God who gave his life for you, who loves you. And I want to consider his authority first and his power. So the prompt that I would share would be, God, when I consider your authority, I thank you because. 
Like, what does it mean that, that God has authority? What does it that mean that God has power? And how is that an encouragement to you? Would you go to him now? consider your authority, we, we thank you because it means that we don't have to question who's in charge. We don't have to question what is true. Lord, we know you are true. We know that your power is active. We know that when you speak a word, it is true. invite us into a time of confession of just coming before our Father and sharing with Him what is it that we treasure above Him. He already knows, but would this be a time for us to just be honest before Him? God, I confess that I often treasure blank over You. Allow Him to examine your heart and confess the things that you find more valuable than Him. Your comfort, your hobbies. This word says that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. one just about the the fact that these individuals were pondering covetousness on their beds I want to invite us to just pray and ask God to help us ask God to help us God please help me think about your goodness when I usually think about what what is it that that plagues your mind that you're so often thinking and pondering and, and wondering come before the Father now and ask Him for help. That when you're prone to worry, would you help me, Father, to consider your goodness and your power. I invite you to pray, God, I choose to cling to your word as authoritative and true. There's so many opportunities to 
to believe and to consume things that are just simply not authoritative or not true. God, we're ready as your people, as your church to cling to your word as authoritative and true. So help us, God. 